Okay. Well, everyone, it's a tremendous honor for me to... This is the first time we've, I've done a virtual introduction like this. this. My dear friend, Carrie Willard, is here to speak to us this morning about quitting. Um, Carrie is, uh, lives in Houston, Texas, and uh, her husband is the rector of Palmer uh, uh, Episcopal Church there. And, but Carrie works in the student affairs department. She kind of is the student affairs department at uh, Rice University. So she's kind of a big deal, but she in her uh, she's also a contributor to Mockingbird, a longtime one, and uh, one of my favorite speakers to listen to. And if you, uh, I high, strongly, strongly encourage you to look up her writing that she's done and she continues to do. So, without any further ado, Carrie, take it away. My thought about this theme about quitting. Um, a long time ago, before the Tyler conference last year, Dave and I had talked a bit about this, and this is a screenshot from the New York Times that appeared over a year ago. Um, people were talking about quitting. This was a whole series about people quitting their jobs, or New York, or skincare, or friendship, or this assignment even. They quit their church, they quit the priesthood, and people I think are fascinated about quitting. And I think it is interesting when you tell people you're quitting something, their reaction. I think like if you tell people that you're quitting smoking, they get really excited for you, right? They might have tips for you. They're super happy for you. But if you tell people that you're going to quit flossing your teeth, they're not, they're not as excited for you. That's not as exciting for anybody. People have all kinds of reactions when someone says they're going to quit drinking. And that I think says a lot more about the reactor than the person announcing that. But uh, my sister and I have had a lot of conversations about quitting in the past. We both have kids and, you know, there's this whole idea that we want our kids to not quit once they've started things. And my sister and I have the privilege of hand-wringing about these things. I don't think, you know, my grandparents' generation really thought much about quitting. They just either did or they didn't. So there's some privilege, this conversation. But there's this old joke that we want our kids to follow their dreams unless we've already paid the registration fee for their last dream, in which case they can follow that dream for six weeks and then they can quit and follow a different dream. But we want to tell our kids, just don't quit, stick with it. People are counting on you, which I'm sure, by the way, that when my brother and I were in T-ball in the 80s, that our coach and our teammates didn't care if we quit because we were worthless. But I think that there is something about, I don't know if it's an American thing that we just don't want our kids to quit and we don't want to quit. But when my sister and I talked about it, it was more than registration fees and family calendars. It was, if we don't let our kids quit some things, how are they ever going to know when to quit a bad job or a bad relationship, an abusive partner? So I think there is some value in this conversation about quitting. And over the past year or so, even since this New York Times series showed up, the idea of quitting didn't leave my mind. In fact, it got more cemented about how we quit things. I kept my sourdough starter alive, been baking bread, I haven't quit that. I swam over 2000 laps last year, I read over 100 books, but I did quit wearing real shoes. That, that was one thing I did quit. Uh, we quit my kids' Zoom church choir after one, one practice. There were tears. I'm sorry, Miss Courtney, we love you, but Zoom Church Choir was not going to happen for our family. 
I had a long streak going with Duolingo. I don't know if any of you use Duolingo. It's an app that teaches you a foreign language. And I had like days and hundreds of days piled up on Duolingo. But then Texas froze over in February. I don't know how many of you are native Texans or live in Texas now, but uh, my phone didn't work for a week and my streak got broken. And so I quit Duolingo and I'm still mad about it. I haven't restarted. That'll show them. I'm sure that's how you learn a foreign language is by quitting Duolingo just because your power went out for a week. Um, a little over a year ago, we were talking a lot about these quitters. Remember them? Look at her. She's all happy. Bye. We're still talking about them quitting. Oprah is talking about them quitting. Tyler Perry um, put them up for a while, I guess. I don't know. I watched the Oprah interview and Tyler Perry was mentioned. And Tyler Perry won like a humanitarian Oscar this year. I don't know if you watched the Oscars, but I don't know if it's because he was the Airbnb for these two, but I love to bring the royal family up. Dave knows this, but these two quit and we're still talking about it. So what are we going to talk about today? Other than that verse in Lamentations that I told you to, to remember that no one is cast off from the Lord forever. What does the Bible tell us about quitting? So here's a little secret. Uh, Dave told you that I work at Rice University. I, uh, I don't have a fancy theology degree. I have a law degree and it's not very valuable. Um, so I Google things like any good biblical scholar. And this is the kind of quality that people have come to expect from Mockingbird conferences is a good Google search about the Bible. And you can see from this quick Google search that people are trying to find a biblical justification for just hang in there, that just hang in there bootstraps approach to quitting. Maybe this is an American phenomenon. Maybe it's just a human one. We want someone to tell us that we're valued for not quitting, that we're winners for not quitting. We want someone to tell us that we matter for not quitting. We want someone to tell us that our neighbor, whether it's our literal neighbor, like Dave was just talking about, or our, you know, our biblical neighbor is worse than we are for quitting. We want the Bible, we want God to tell us not to quit, to hang in there. And we turned to Google for the answer, or I did. I really did turn to the Bible for the answer though, not just Google. Um, and this is Elijah. Um, this is an artistic, obviously, not a courtroom sketch of Elijah, but this is an interpretation of a story about Elijah. I don't know how many of you remember Elijah. You probably read the Bible better than I do. But Elijah was a prophet in 1 Kings, and all of his prophet colleagues were killed. The people who killed his work bros came after him, and he was scared. So he submitted his resignation letter to God. He wanted to quit. He, um, he tried really hard to quit. He was like, okay, just let me die now. That's how bad that he wanted to quit. He just wanted to quit life. So he just laid down and wanted to die. God, in God's infinite wisdom, did not accept Elijah's resignation letter. God just let him sleep in some bushes. And then when he woke up, there was a cake waiting for him and a nice jug of water. If you don't think your kids are paying attention in church, take them on the day that they're reading this story in church. I wasn't paying very close attention the last time we heard the story in church, but my kid was. He nudged me when they came to this part and he said, was it a birthday cake? If you talk about cake, Ben Willard is listening. He is there for, for the cake story. 
anyway, Elijah woke up and there was cake or in some versions it was bread. I don't know, it was carbs of some kind. I don't think it was frosted. It was probably kind of dry, but it was there. And Elijah ate the bread or the cake and drank some water. And then he had another nap. And then he woke up again and he ate and drank again. And then he had strength for the journey. God told him to get to it and get on the road. And he did. This artistic interpretation of Elijah shows an angel baker with the bread cake. See, he's got that little jug of water. Angel's got some wings. It's a very Caucasian angel. Um, but I don't know if the Bible actually says that it was an angel that did it. The cake just appeared. So for all we know, it was Elijah's wife or his sister, or maybe most likely it was his mom. So happy Mother's Day, Elijah's mom. Elijah didn't even know it was you who provided these carbs and hydration. But I, I just love in the story that God didn't accept Elijah's resignation letter. He was like, okay, cool, cool. Have a nap and a snack and you'll feel better. And Elijah had good reason for wanting to quit. Like colleague murder is why he wanted to quit. God didn't give him a pep talk or tell him to pull himself up by his bootstraps. God let him try to quit, but he just silently refused to accept his resignation letter. And I wonder if that's ever happened in your life. My mom and my husband, my mom's watching. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Uh, I think my mom and my husband are the most reasonable people I know. And their favorite thing to tell me is the, is the worst. They're the worst. They say things like, you don't have to decide that tonight. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say to people. I hate it. I hate it every time when they say, you don't have to decide that tonight. But they're always right. And if I sleep on it and I have a little breakfast, things get a little bit clearer for me. God and my mom are not keen on accepting resignation letters from hangry, tired people. No one is cast off from the Lord forever. So the next time I see a wannabe quitter in the Bible is Jonah. There's Jonah. I hope you can see this, this artistic interpretation of Jonah and the whale. He was another prophet, and I'm going to be really honest with y'all. I sometimes get Pinocchio and Jonah confused with one another. Both of them involve a large fish or whale, and both stories are simultaneously terrifying and annoying at the same time. So we all remember that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, right? But do you remember why he was swallowed by a whale? It's because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Ninevites lived in Nineveh, and Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. God told him, go to Nineveh, and Jonah tried to submit his resignation letter. Not Nineveh, Jonah said to God. God didn't accept Jonah's resignation letter either. Jonah got on a boat, excuse me, presumably to go far, far away from Nineveh. And then there was a big storm. And everybody on the boat was trying to figure out who they needed to throw overboard to make the sea happy. And Jonah was like, um, no, that would be me. I need to, I need to go. Um, at this point, Dave's really cringing because this is my drunk history version of Jonah and the whale. Uh, but Jonah, I think he threw himself overboard and he got swallowed up by what the Bible says is a great fish or a whale. And I'm, no, I'm not a theologian. I'm also not a marine biologist, but I'm pretty sure that the whale or the great fish or whatever it was didn't have a full set of human teeth like this one did, but let's call that artistic license. And again, 
not a biblical scholar, but I'm pretty sure Jonah wasn't wearing this cute little pinstripe suit and a bowler hat. But I, lo I love this version of what happened. Uh, Jonah stayed in the belly of the beast for three days, and then he got barfed up on the shores of Nineveh. God was not subtle in his dealings with Jonah. I think he was thinking, this one's going to need it spelled out for him. And I love, love, love thinking about Jonah's first Sunday in the pulpit. Like his friend, his new friend saying, did you arrive by foot? Did you walk here? No, no, I came, I came by sea. By sea? I didn't see a ship in the harbor. Yeah, well, I arrived by, by whale. But, but, but why? Well, it's because of you. I didn't want to come here because of you. So I had to arrive by the whale vomit express. So that would, that would be a pretty awkward first Sunday in the pulpit. And I don't know what the modern day equivalent of Nineveh is. Some people might say it's Houston, but I came here voluntarily and I love it here. So maybe not. Um, this scene makes Nineveh look very nice, like maybe a mid-century modern version of Jersey Shore. I don't know, we'll have to ask Ben Madison about that. He loves New Jersey. Uh, but God did not accept Jonah's resignation letter either. Maybe there's been a time in your life that you've wanted to quit and God was not subtle in God's refusal to accept your resignation letter. Hopefully for your sake, it didn't involve whale vomit, but for Jonah, it did. So you'll notice in both of these accounts, no one is cast off from the Lord forever. It wasn't Jonah's or Elijah's fortitude or perseverance that didn't allow them to quit. It wasn't their can-do attitude or their own efforts that carried them through. It was God's simple refusal to accept their resignation letters, sometimes with cake, sometimes with a whale. Sometimes God is quiet and sometimes God is show up, showy, but no one is cast off from the Lord forever. So what does the New Testament say about quitting? So this, is, this is my favorite mosaic of the loaves and fishes. Um, Jesus's disciples were notorious quitters. It was kind of their thing. I mean, they laid down their nets and followed him. So they kind of were self-selected for this job of quitting. They fell asleep at Gethsemane. And if that's not a quitter move, I don't know what is, but there were other times too. So most of us remember the story of the loaves and fishes. Jesus had drawn a huge crowd with his preaching and the disciples were like, um, the concession stand is not open today. And the little league moms did not show up with the orange slices and we have nothing to feed anyone. So wrap it up, Jesus, and everybody's going to go home to eat because we don't have any food for people. And Jesus is like, wait, doesn't anyone, anyone have any food? And then a kid with a few loaves, bread, and some fish shows up and everybody has enough food for 5,000 people, 5,000 people. Were there even 5,000 people on earth back then? Was there a guy with a clicker at the door like Costco to get a head count? I don't, I don't know about 5,000, but okay, we're going to go with that 5,000. And then just like the angel for Elijah, we're not a hundred percent sure how all these loaves and fishes feed all these people. There's not like an, an accurate accounting of how this happens. I don't think it actually says that Jesus made it multiply. It says that he blessed them. But I think we all just assume that Jesus made all this bread and fish multiply. Maybe it was like the sourdough starter that I've still got in my kitchen that just seems to kind of grow overnight and it just reproduced on its own. And it's possible, I'm just saying that it's possible that all of the moms there just opened up their purses and there were enough snacks in there for 5,000 people. Have you looked in a mom's purse lately? It's possible, it's possible, but that's not to discount that this was a real miracle. 
And maybe the fact that the people shared was enough of a miracle. Jesus did not accept his disciples' resignation letter just because they didn't order enough takeout for 5,000 people. God's love was multiplied somehow. And maybe you've seen that happen too when you were just about to quit and just the right thing or just the right person showed up at just the right time. God's steadfastness has gotten me through more moments like this than my own steadfastness and faithfulness. And sometimes that shows up in unexpected ways. What does any of this have to do with us now? No one is cast off from the Lord forever. This is me about 13 years ago. Uh, my husband is in the vestments and that's our firstborn baby, Rowan, so little. He's about seven weeks old in this photo. He's about six feet tall now. So he's closer to my husband's height than to my height. Uh, and he can reach things in the house that I can't, but he started out like we all do, so tiny. When Rowan was about six weeks old, so just, just over a week before this photo was taken, my father-in-law died. It was terribly sad. It is terribly sad still. Even though he'd been ill for a while, it was somewhat unexpected. I'm smiling in this photo, we're all smiling, but I did not know what I was doing. We lived in Minnesota and my father-in-law died uh, in my husband's hometown of, in North Carolina. Within hours of my father-in-law's death, we were planning our trip home to be with my mother-in-law. I had no idea how to fly with a baby. I didn't even really know how to fold up our stroller at this point. And you know, in Minnesota, in the middle of winter, we really didn't have the opportunity to use our stroller yet. Um, Neil was still saying umbilical instead of umbilical for the umbilical cord. And we were still at this point in our parenting journey calling the pediatrician the vet. Do we need to take him back to the vet? Because we were so used to having dogs and not human babies. So we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, I was on the phone the night that my father-in-law died trying to make plane reservations because I knew we needed to get back in a hurry. We needed to get back as soon as possible. My husband was on the other phone trying to decide which altar linens to use on the altar for the funeral. I said a, I said a bad word about the altar linens that night. I'm not on the altar guild. Um, the bad words started with the same letter that fair linen starts with. Um, so I, we were, we were really stressed out and my mom showed up the next day, the same one who says, you don't need to decide this tonight. She showed up the next day. And I said something to her along the lines of, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to do any of this. And I wasn't quite as dramatic as Elijah, but I didn't have murderous heretics following me. And I wasn't quite as obnoxious as Jonah, but the people in North Carolina are a lot nicer than Ninevites, I imagine. But I still didn't know what I was doing. My mother did not accept my resignation letter or my hesitance. She gave me her best suck it up buttercup speech. Not a pep talk, exactly. Not an inspirational speech, but a clear refusal to accept anyone's resignation letter. Neil wasn't about to tell me I had to do anything. My husband wasn't in, a, in any state to boss me around, but my tiny little mom told me that if she could get on a military aircraft with my then three week old sister, then I could very well get onto a commercial airplane in 2008 and fly with my husband to his homeland where there would be friends and neighbors waiting for us with diapers and food. 
she was right. She was absolutely right. We got to the airport and we did not look as cute as we do in this photo. I don't know what we looked like, but we were not cute. I must have been a sight. And we got to the metal detectors. We're lining up for security with the TSA agent and everybody's taking off their shoes and their luggage, their carry-ons. And uh, there was a TSA agent, a woman who saw me from probably 20 feet away on the other side of the conveyor belt. And she said, you, stop right there. I was terrified. But she then said right away, I'm coming to help you. And I was surprised, but pleasantly surprised. And she came around to my side of the conveyor belt. She walked around. She gently lifted our baby out of his car seat. And she took the stroller and the car seat and the diaper bag and probably my shoes. And she put them all on the conveyor belt. She whipped it all right through there. And she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, you just hold your beautiful baby. And she walked me through the metal detector. I got to the other side and my full grown husband was there just holding his shoes in his lap. Uh, so clearly we needed all the help we could get. And these are the moments I think about Elijah and Jonah and the disciples, these angels among us, or maybe our mom or a nice bossy agent persevere on our behalf when we just can't seem to take another step. No one is cast off from the Lord forever. And the Lord shows up in our lives in ways that we might not recognize right away. There were more angels on that trip. There was a funeral home employee who let me nurse the baby in a room full of coffins. She swore they were empty, but I didn't even care at that point. Sometimes we see God's faithfulness in the moment. Sometimes it takes us weeks or months or years of reflection to see how God holds us through moments when we simply want to quit. Since then, I've had friends show up with the best timing. I got challah bread and colorful bowls during a week. They didn't even know that I was in pain. I've shown up at church with banana bread, not knowing who I was going to give it to, just two loaves of banana bread, and then giving it to people I didn't even know were hurting at the time, and they told me about it later. I don't know if I kept them from quitting anything, but I can only thank God's faithfulness for sending me to church with all that surplus banana bread. So should you quit your job or your marriage or gluten? I don't, I don't know. That's not for me to say. Google will not be much help either. But if you're feeling like God expects you to rely on your own grit or steadfastness, you can look to scripture for time and time again of when God's faithfulness shows up in a loaf of bread or even in the belly of a whale. You might find God's steadfastness in the TSA line at the airport. No one is cast off from the Lord forever. And I'll leave you with this. God's love endures forever. For that, I'm so grateful.